Hello everyone, my name is Al Crawford and welcome to this Mumbrella and Exponential podcast series that we're calling The Point of Connection, largely because it is about powerful points of connection between brands and consumers, ruthless logic there. Today on episode three, myself and our panel will be discussing how customers shop in 2018 and beyond. We'll be looking at the marketing funnel, seeing whether it's hideously out of date or very much du jour, and we'll be talking about how consumers and businesses interact with brands. But it wouldn't be possible without our guests who are going to take the baton from me, and they're as follows. Tyler Greer is the Director of Global Sales Strategy at Exponential. Over a 20-year career, his diverse set of roles has included digital planning and buying, copywriting, publicity, media strategy, and branding. He is also a regular contributor on Mumbrella's website. Will Griffith is Managing Director for Marketing Automation Platform Marketo across Australia and New Zealand and is an expert at the customer journey and in particular the difference in marketing B2B as opposed to B2C. And then finally Peter Wilson is the founder of the Shopper Collective, a specialist consultancy that uses research to develop growth strategies for clients. He's also spoken to industry events around the world and is currently writing a book on shopper marketing available at all good bookstores later this year. So thank you all for coming along. If I can lob you the first question, perhaps, Peter, I'd love to get your steer on how we buy things in 2018. Have things fundamentally changed or are they still fundamentally the same? Oh, um, things have most definitely changed. Uh, when I started out looking at the distinctions between consumer and shopper, and shoppers really kind of uh, hitting its straps, perhaps around 2006, 2007, we were drawing this mass distinction between when you're a consumer and when you're a shopper. And I think because of um, the touch points that we now use our mobile, we can you, we can snap in from consumer uh, to shopper in, in a moment. And I often use an example um, of something that happened in our family car about a year ago. We we're driving, uh, taking the kids to school, and my wife's engrossed in a conversation with the kids, and all of a sudden got a prompt from an online grocery retailer. Um, and she snapped out of the, the conversation with the kids about their, their school day into shopping mode. So I think retailer, retail is where your customers are at right now. So wherever they, wherever they are in their life's journey, they can, they can snap into shopping mode because they have access to, to shopping environments at their fingertips. Mm. And I suppose, you know, that might be, so things have, as you say, almost kind of accelerated or at least the ability to transition from browsing to purchase has, has actually kind of collapsed. I mean, I think Sheryl Sandberg has talked about the collapse of the kind of marketing or sales funnel, not in terms of it collapsing underneath itself or dying, but much more in terms of the fact that she has said that it's, it's faster than ever to get from discovery to purchase, largely because of mobile and digital. Will, what's your feeling about that? Has the uh, marketing funnel, the sales funnel, I suppose, has that fundamentally collapsed in terms of the time frames that we're looking at? I think it's a it's a really um, it's a really interesting conversation because there are obviously a lot of examples that we can all probably think up very quickly and easily where there's been disruption with modern technology, ease of access to information. Um, consumers uh, are empowered with the ability to make buying decisions faster and smoother and without friction, more so than ever before. And in fact, you know, a lot of disruptive propositions, that's one of their key differentiators. It's easier to buy from us. There are fewer presses, less brain cells involved in the transaction. If you know you want it, you can get it from us now, which is fantastic. And it's great for consumers 
um, it empowers them, um, it, it, uh, it does all kinds of really interesting, exciting things. But at the same time, um, there are plenty of industries um, and buying decisions um, that humans being, human beings make where they still need to take their time. You know, and I, I don't think that anybody would argue that the B2B, your traditional B2B buying process, has uh, the funnel has collapsed. Um, it's changed, certainly, in the dynamic of how a buyer researches and considers in the, in, in the earlier phases has changed dramatically, um, putting salespeople at arm's length um, and replacing them with uh, access to information through the internet, mostly. Um, but uh, so I, I don't think it's changed from a traditional B2B point of view. It may have become smoother, may have become a better experience, um, but I, I, I would argue that it hasn't really changed that much. In some ways, it's potentially become a little bit more complex. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I, I must agree with Will. I think that we often confuse the speed of the consumer journey with the shape of it. Um, the funnel, to a large degree, still exists. I think it's interrupted or disrupted with our ability to make impulse purchases, um, just like Peter's the story of Peter's wife just there. There was a moment, it was a call to action, she, she yeah. moved on it straight away. So there's the opportunity for that. But ultimately, we still move from, most humans still move from awareness to consideration, identifying whether that, that particular product is going to fit with my life, do I want it, do I need it, mostly do I want it, and then down comparison and then conversion ultimately. Um, and I think it's really important to understand from a media perspective that I, I suppose when we plan media, we're still very married to that structure as well. We still divide the world into awareness, consideration, and performance or acquisition down the bottom. So that hasn't really shifted until we better understand what happens in that, that middle ground between perhaps awareness and conversion. Um, we're, going to, we're going to keep this shape because it still seems to work for us. Yes, and I think you make to both Will and you, Tyler, make some really good points there. So one thing, and I want to come back to this idea of whether the whether some people have pronounced the death of the funnel altogether. So let's let's take that on in a moment. But I, I'm taken by um, Will's points there that, that actually, it, just because it can get faster doesn't necessarily mean that it, it, people want it to get faster. For example, are there some tangible examples you can give me of? Uh, you know, just because we we are able to get there faster, that actually people do want to mm. mull over decisions, or they do want to take their time as they move through things. Because I think, you know, as you say, Cheryl Sandler's kind of said, look, almost from corner shops, she, she's actually said, you know, from corner shops to big decisions, we, we're just going to get there faster as it happens. Yeah. Well, so so I've done, um, I've had lots of interesting conversations with your uh, with the automotive sector, and I think that's one sector where. Um, where digital disruption has done a lot to make it easier for consumers to really literally put themselves in the driving seat, either virtual or, or real driving seat, and really kind of um, supercharge that decision-making process. But at the end of the day, buying a car is a fairly big decision, mm -hmm. um, and there are lots of options. And you may be really loyal to a brand and be absolutely decided that I'm, I'm, I'm going to buy another Toyota, or I'm going to buy another Subaru, or I'm going to buy another whatever the brand is, Volkswagen, Audi, etc. Um, but actually, when it comes to putting down the dollars and making the decision, you know that's that's going to take some time, and there are going to be some considerations. And I really ought to involve my wife, or hey, what are my mates going to think when they see me driving around this? And mm. you know, we are going to have a kid next year, or 
kids going to be leaving home soon? <laughs> All of those things play into it. And as human beings, I think there are certain purchasing decisions that whilst we may be able to make them quick, quickly, because it's now easy to get finance, it's easy to walk in and walk out of a dealership with the keys, um, easier than ever before. Um, I still need to go through that decision-making process. And marketing has a huge uh, role, it's a huge opportunity for marketing to play through that consideration process to engage, to influence, to understand, to engage and understand and influence and all those kind of interesting things, more so now than ever, ever before. So I don't think that, I think that there's, it's, there's a lot of hype around the idea that people, um, human beings are now going to go around making decisions left, right and centre, all kinds of, uh, at all kinds of scales, but I, I don't necessarily buy into the reality of that. We're, mm. we're still humans and we still need to make considers, mm -hmm. considerations on yeah, I, I think that's probably um, category dependent. Yes. Yeah, higher involvement categories and lower involvement categories. You don't um, place the same amount of investment of time, effort and energy into buying paper plates as you would a <laughs> motor car. Um, but also the other part of it is how much time are you willing to invest in it? And when uh, automotive is a good example, there are people that do actually enjoy the process of buying a new car. Um, the others uh, they would prefer to take the path of least resistance. And if you look at the, the classic challenges that, and forgive the stereotyping, but women buying cars are generally less enthusiastic about the process than their male counterparts. Uh, male counterparts are, are more passionate about it generally, and I'm saying this is a gross generalization, but um, they're prepared to do the homework and they know what they're talking about. And um, women that I've spoken to, actually, um, it, it's actually a... I wouldn't say grudge purchase, but they're going through the process of having to engage a salesman on the on the showroom floor and being spellbound by te technological uh, um, the detail. It's not the idea of fun. So I think it's dependent on the person, it's dependent on the category. What do you guys say to people that think the funnel is an outmoded tool, a relic of the past, and that we've moved on from there? Uh, are we entering a new age where the old rules go out the window? I think that's what we say when we can't quite grasp what's happening with the consumer journey out there, which is multifaceted, multi-screened. But ultimately, the big one is that the user has complete control. Um, so the user decides how they want to research, what they want to do. When they, nobody walks into a car dealership now not knowing anything about the car, not knowing the price, not knowing whether they can get it cheaper, not knowing it's going to... Uh, fulfill all their spec needs and all these sorts of things. So there's a, there's a huge empowerment of the consumer at the moment and I think you can move, if you wish to, from awareness to purchase immediately. Um, and I think that's leading us to believe there is no more funnel, that there's this immediate response that we can draw out of people should we want to without doing the marketing diligence of actually convincing people that this is a product that fits your identity, that you should buy, all those sort of persuasion moments are being left aside because we think thanks to digital technology, we can move people from awareness immediately and purchase. And I think this is a terrible mistake. I've got an analogy I like to use, which, um, which I call the Cornetto principle, the Cornetto ice cream or drumstick, if you like. And if you think of a Cornetto or, or a drumstick, you think of two parts. You think of the top and the bottom. And the top is all nutty and syrupy and ice creamy and delicious and the bottom is the delicious chocolate tip. That to me right now is what media looks like, particularly digital media. It's about awareness at the top and it's about performance and conversion at the bottom. And what these two things have in common is that without the centre, none of it holds together. 
There is a moment where we need to move people from awareness to conversion, and really we have a name for that, it's marketing. Um, it's how we convince people that this brand is right for you, this product is right for you, we give them the tools to spend some time and explore it should they want to. We give them everything from the soft stuff to the nice galleries and content and videos, right through to the practical information and the specs, all those sorts of things. We're forgetting about it because we're believing that the funnel no longer exists, and in many cases it does. Um, you remember, you know, probably giving away our shared vintage, but when we went to uni and studied marketing, there was this whole thing around AIDA, mm. awareness, interest, desire, action, which is essentially what your marketing funnel is. Is a, is a marketing funnel, particularly in this day and age, we've spoken a lot about the kind of the dis, digital disruption side, but also there's this growing realisation that um, consumers, uh, humans, are irrational beings. We don't follow a logical uh, steps or uh, a sequence of, of events from the time that we are aware to the, the, the time that we ultimately carry out an action. Is a marketing funnel there something that gives marketers and marketing analysts a sense of order in an otherwise crazy world that they can try and understand their, how they're performing? Yeah, look, I, I, definitely it is that the, there is a desire partly, I think, driven by the need to show return. Right? So in, in, in some might argue that the marketer's dream is I just have one product, I have four stages, I can measure its linear, and, and buyers do what they're supposed to do and they follow that. Um, the reality is it is chaotic um, and disrupted. That doesn't mean it's, it, that you can't put stakes in, um, not food stakes. <laughs> stakes in the ground um, markers, identifiers, try and work out, broadly speaking, you're at the awareness stage. Oh, well, actually, no, you're at the desire stage because your behavior, the, the, the engagement that we're having you is leading us strongly to believe that you're at the desire stage. You know, well, okay, something's going on there. What does that mean? I'm not quite sure. Let's try and work that out. There's a lot of that going on at the moment. People trying to take capture the signals and, and, and decipher what it means, you know, because if you are at the desire stage, then really we should try and do this with you next. Or if you're still at the research stage, we shouldn't assume that we've got enough desire to convert. So I think it's, it, it is very chaotic, but simplifying it to a, to a sense of order and simplifying it to key stages, which is what at the end of the day, the funnel does, you know, the funnel is, it, it's, it's, it's broad enough in its design to hopefully allow some creative license of understanding of broadly speaking, what are people doing at the top, what they're doing in the middle, and what they're doing at the bottom. And I think that's really important to marketers so that they can show that they understand what's going on in this chaotic world, that they can measure and that they can improve. I'm not, I'm not sure it's as chaotic in many senses. I'm not sure the, the rational and irrational actions underwrite this. I think it's like any relationship that we might have with people. I, I see that person, I know them, okay? Then I get to know them and I like them and ultimately we become friends. Now that's that's a linear journey through the funnel. Now why I like that person, I don't really know. I can't rationally articulate it. They're just my kind of person. Um, can I tell you why I married my wife rationally opposed to any other girl I ever met in my life? No, not really, but I just know it worked. And I think that follows an awareness, consideration and action funnel. And I think that's the way humans form relationships. Now, all of the, the emotions and the, the irrationality swirls around that and exists within that. But that point from seeing awareness through to making a decision or forming a, a, a meaningful relationship, that to me still follows a linear journey. So I think that we can structure our marketing thoughts 
to follow that that journey. Um, it's just that everything that happens within there often does swirl around in irrational ways um, and take various action points, which could be across multiple screens or multiple exposures or talking to friends or all these other things that we can't quite grasp and plot correctly. And I think that's interesting, Tyler, what you say is, you know, there'd probably be some, as you see it, some fundamental principles that kind of underpin it that can almost be attached to anything. Be interested, Will, in, in your experience, obviously, business to business and business to consumer, how much similarity and how much difference do you see in the way that we act or behave from those points of view? For example, is, is, that, is the funnel a similar kind of order effect or a similar set of principles for a, a, a business to business uh, piece of marketing that you're conducting or is it, is it entirely different? Yeah, it, it, so it's, it's really interesting. So we have customers um, spanning from an organization who uh, operates pizza restaurants and uh, they do a lot of business online and they use our technology to help them optimize how they use marketing to drive sales of pizzas. You know, that's a pretty impulsive purchase. I'm hungry, I'm gonna get a pizza. Um, I'm chilling out at home and I really can't be bothered to make anything, I'm gonna get a pizza. I'm hanging out with some mates, it's a bit spontaneous, I'm gonna get a pizza. Through to large technology companies um, who are trying to influence um, a, a really broad kaleidoscope of stakeholders, influencers, um, uh, budgetary uh, purse string holders, executive, um, uh, rubber stampers and, and the whole myriad of people across a large complex B2B sales process with many different moving parts that might take between a year and two years and then everything in between both B2B and B2C because B2C can be considered like a car purchase or it can be very short termist um, uh, you know people selling health supplements through to um, higher education organizations I, I, I guess what I'm stepping a little bit back from B2B and B2C all of them share in common, a buyer goes through a journey. Now the journey may be, I really can't go to make any food, I'm gonna get a pizza, pick up the phone, bang, it's done. Like that person, that individual made the decision themselves in milliseconds mm. <laughs> and it was beautiful and they felt so good for it um, versus <laughs> something a little bit more complex. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I think there are a lot of commonalities and then a huge amount of differences. Um, so uh, yeah. Um, um, I, I, I'm perpetually fascinated by how um, the, 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 my experience is that organizations who are really obsessed by that, that buyer experience, that journey, do a really good job of coming up with marketing that aligns the different stages of that. Right. Even if it is a very highly compressed process, you can still optimize it. You can still catch people with something um, exciting and intriguing um, versus an elongated process where you need to be Frankly, um, you need to be paying a different kind of attention to some very small signals that might indicate that somebody is who you think they are and you want to validate that in the process and then engage them with content they're going to find useful to their role in a buying decision. Right. So almost that limited time frame actually doesn't limit your opportunities at all. Um, and I think one question I, uh, I was interested in as well is... Uh, do do you, in terms of retail, Peter, in your experience with retail, is obviously, again, as with so many things in the world of marketing, 
you know, there are those that say it's, it's dwindling, it's in trouble, we're moving into this sort of virtual world and everything like that. Others that say it's thriving. Where, where do you, what, again, big question, where do you see its role and its importance in the, uh, in the, in the sales funnel? I wouldn't be in business now if there wasn't a big, bright, rosy future uh, before it. I, I purposely shy away from the term omnichannel, which is something we hear day in and day out ad nauseum. Um, I think it's a term that marketers have put out there to bring some definition to that chaotic world that I referred to earlier. I, I just think it's unrealistic. I think if you're talking omnichannel, you're already behind the eight ball. Uh, it's not the language that shoppers use. Um, I prefer to, uh, to, to refer to retail ecosystems as a more meaningful way of understanding where retail is nowadays. It's like if you if you speak to uh, kind of younger generations, Gen Z, for example, they typically don't talk about going online. <laughs> we do. Um, to them, it's it's just a, another facet of their, their daily lifestyle. I think retail is, 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 is going on that same journey. Um, and I think that, well, I know from, from research that Generation Z our future shoppers um, are very committed to physical shopping environments. Uh, in fact, there was some research uh, that I read that said 63% of all Gen Z, or of 63% of Gen Z shoppers preferred shopping in a physical environment. Okay. Now, I think it was 23% had a preference for what we call online. Um, I think you need to take it with a pinch of salt, but I think the key takeout that you, you get from it is that there, there is a very clear need um, and uh, place for bricks and mortar shopping environments. Whether the stock holding in those stores is gonna be the same 10, 15 years from now, or whether those spaces are gonna be uh, differently defined in terms of their role, you know, maybe it's a question that, you know, we were talking about automotive, you know, you take that as the what's going to happen with, with the future of um, the automotive retail? How much stock do you need on hand? Are you going to be building your, your, your car from the ground up? Um, I put that to somebody. Uh, uh, this, this person was the global head of brand experience of one of the leading automotive brands two weeks ago. And he said, well, the future of automotive retail, I don't know about anymore mm. because mm. it's all about self-driving cars. So how much is going to go into it? So to answer your question, uh, bricks and mortar um, has a very bright future, I believe. I think the focus is going to shift from purely transactional to more experiential. Mm -hmm. um, if I said to you now, uh, if I said to you 10 years ago, well, your client is going to be a director of CX. Think about it, 10 years ago. You said, what the hell is CX? But we've got clients now fulfilling those roles. And it's because the, um, the importance of the customer experience in a retail environment that pure play online retailers will struggle to replicate. Yeah, it's wrapped up in more than just the, the, the purchasing of something. That, that's the end game. I mean, the, the, the retail shopping experience is a human experience, and particularly for young people, it's a way to socialise, it's a way to spend your time, it's a way to spend your weekends, you're bouncing around the mall or whatever it might be. Um, if you're living at home until you're 28 now, you've got to do something. If you're in the US and you can't drink till you're 21, you've got to find somewhere to go to hang out and meet girls and meet boys and do all these sorts of things. And a lot of that is hanging around retail environments. Now, the, the, the pain point might come where someone walks in, looks at stuff, then walks out of the shop and orders it online for 
a third of the price, maybe, but if that experience is good enough and they can somehow meet the price point expectations or come close to them, then I agree, it's got a very bright future. It's not simply based on the purchase at all. Yeah, I, I think um, <clears throat> if we think about the role of customer experience in a buyer's decision, customer experience taps into emotion, which is a very, very, very important part. Some research I've seen is argued that is the most important part of a human's buying decision, um, particularly in a consumer environment, I'd say in any, any buying decision. So customer experience taps into emotion, that's the first thing. Secondly, you look around more and more um, uh, products and services that you buy are becoming similar. So how do manufacturers of products and services differentiate when they're similar? Um, is through customer experience. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people will say, well, actually, I went with those guys because it just felt like the right, like the right company to work for, work with, sorry, to buy from, the right product. It just kind of, and when you dive into it, they hadn't really, they weren't really convinced there was much in it between the actual product or service. And it was about how they felt mm -hmm. when they engaged them and, and how they were, how emotionally the experience helped them decide on A versus B rather than the features or the functions of A versus B. Certainly, if you turn the clock back 10 years ago, like look at the electronics marketplace, it's all feature functions, all the packaging, the proposition, the reasons, the calls to action, it's all feature function related. Now you look at today, it's, it's more about the experience. There are still some feature function plays, but it's very rare. It's about the most simplified experience, the easiest way to pick up this gadget and just with, or app, um, with minimal, knowledge or understanding, you can self-learn and, and it's, it's a great experience. I mean, if you look at the, the, the leading technology company in the world, if you look at Apple, that is still very much a bricks and mortar experience. I have no idea what anyone does in an Apple store. What are they doing? There's three floors of them in there by, packed in by the thousands. I don't know what they're doing. Um, so perhaps I'm the one who's missing out, but there is a retail experience attached to that that is clearly really important to people. And that to me is the, is the absolute Perfect example of the middle of the funnel. They've moved from awareness, they're probably going to convert, but they're spending this time, their own time, in a store, touching, feeling, talking to people, being a part of this um, retail experience that ultimately probably signs them up for the next decade as an Apple consumer. How good do you think we actually are at understanding the customer experience in 2018? I'm happy to put my opinion on the table. I, I think most marketers are nowhere near as good as they need to be. Yeah. Um, and that's, it's, it's, I, I guess the first, first, uh, first step in any problem is admission. <laughs> Dealing with the problem, I just have to admit it. And I, I come across a um, reasonable number of marketers who I come into contact with on quite a regular basis who, who aren't fully prepared to admit that they're not quite as focused on their customers as they'd like to be because there's lots of distractions in any modern business and, and, and there are. And, and, and getting what you do today right is, is a big distraction. Um, so on the flip side, I find pleasantly a lot of marketers who start and end with customer and everything they talk about is being customer focused, customer obsessed, customer centric. But, but I think it is the game changer in an organization, holistically, not just in marketing, when everybody is obsessed by how the customer feels as a result of what they do, whether they're customer facing or not, in every part of any kind of organization. Um, and uh, the more that that organization from top down, bottom up, left to right, mm -hmm. can be obsessed about the customer, 
um, the more successful they're going to be in engaging their customer. I might, I might drop a Don Draper quote, if you don't <laughs> mind, who said, the customer's telling us what they want, we're just not listening. Um, never more so than now is the customer telling us what they want and how they get there. There is, there is more data that we're going to be able to consume in a thousand lifetimes now about what is propelling people towards the purchases they're making. Yes, it's chaotic. Um, brands are certainly investing in people and technology to try and help them understand that. And if they can get that right, then they're going to be able to shape campaigns that are a lot more successful. At, at Expect, we sit on a huge amount of data and it's drawn from what people consume and what they read across a publisher platform of, of millions of um, pages and URLs. Um, we had a major weight loss client and their conceit to go to market was that all women want to lose weight all the time so therefore we speak to all women all the time now that's cool gets expensive when you're planning media um but maybe they're right so we did a we did a insight study for them which means we are able over a month or two to put a pixel down on their site and look at all the content that they've been reading and searching consuming across that time before they convert we saw two things really clearly they were consuming content about planning a wedding or going on a beach holiday. So, yes, maybe all women do want to lose weight all the time. Fine. Um, but the moment of conversion needs an impetus. It needs a moment that, that pushes them towards making that decision. Now, those moments are out there all the time. Sometimes they're impulsive, I agree, but there's usually it's at least some motivation or stress or some influence that's making us take that purchase and make that decision at the time. Um, the data is out there if we can understand, if we can interpret it, and we can turn it into something actionable. Do you think um, that it's the complexity that has put people off, or do you think it's actually more just a mindset and a focus, I suppose, Peter? Is, is, what, what do you think is the reason why we're still not quite there? Mm, I think it's a, a lot to do with culture. Um, uh, Martin Butler, who, who you guys know, um, I did a series of talks um, with him last year on this, and he, I mean, he is the the one person that's driving this whole customer obsession agenda. He says customer centricity is no longer good enough. You've got to be customer obsessed. But he takes that a step further, and he says the most important customer is the one on your payroll, and that's why I talk about culture. Culture is really important in terms of a, a, a customer-focused, a customer-obsessed organization. He says that if, um, if your own staff don't get it, then how do you expect your end customer to get it? And there's that natural stream of, of information and sharing that needs to happen throughout the organization that impacts on the experience that your end customer ultimately has. So I think a, a lot of it has to do about the culture that you, you develop, you generate, you encourage within your own retail organisation. I think it's a fantastic point. And I, th and I think that whether the funnel exists or has completely disintegrated, the, the, the same rules will always apply. The same customer service rules apply. At any point where a customer interfaces with your brand, give them the tools to explore, make it frictionless, make it comfortable, allow them all the information they need to gather in the way they want to gather, on the device they want to gather it. If you can do that, it actually doesn't matter whether the funnel is upside down, sideways, whatever, you've got all your bases covered because the customer is where you begin. I think that's 
pretty much all we've got time for. I think what's great about this is we know that the funnel is alive and well. It may be more complex, but it's all about dedicating yourself to it. And I think that is a great way to kind of end on that super upbeat note. So I'll finish by thanking my guests, Tyler, Peter, and Will. Thank you for your time. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to our series on iTunes and find out more about this episode and the rest at mumbrella.com.au. But for now, from me and the funnel, uh, farewell. <laughs>